Well, good morning to everyone that's here, and good morning to those that are watching us online. Uh, this summer, we're walking through the first eight chapters of the book of Mark. And as we have mentioned each week, Mark gives us uh, different snapshots of Jesus' life and ministry so that we might be encouraged to persevere in our faith, no matter what we are facing in our lives. Now, thus far, we have seen that Jesus is not just one of many self-proclaimed messiahs that came into Jerusalem. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And in Jesus, being God's beloved Son, is being called to go out and preach the good news. Mark teaches us that Jesus has the power to heal the sick and cast out demons. And he is establishing his kingdom here and now. And unlike the kingdoms in this world, God's kingdom is one in which the outcast finds belonging. Sinners receive forgiveness and the weary find rest. And as we read in chapter 3 this morning, we see that Jesus' popularity is at an all-time high. You know, they didn't have a radio or television or social media, but their Bush telegraph was so amazingly effective in getting the word out that this mysterious man by the name of Jesus had supernatural powers to heal the sick and to forgive the most wretched of sinners. So Mark tells us that people were coming for a hundred miles away from Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon to get an audience with Jesus. So great were the crowds that Jesus told the disciples to have the boat ready for him, lest the crowds crush him. And at the height of his popularity, instead of continuing to address the needs of the crowds, Mark tells us that Jesus stole away up on the mountain, like so many of the prophets who had come before him. Now, while on the mountain, Jesus called to himself those whom he desired, and they came to him. Mark says, Jesus appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, interestingly, the Greek term appointed literally means to create, to name. And it echoes back to when God created the heavens and the earth and he named the heavens. He named the earth. He named the animals. So as we look at our passage this morning, I want us to consider two things. And the first is, in Jesus we receive a new name. And then secondly, from our passage this morning, we begin, we learn how we begin to receive and grow into our name. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for the privilege of coming together and worshiping you. And Lord, although I know my own heart grieves that we can't all be in this space together because of COVID-19. We trust that you are here 
and that you are in the homes of everyone that's watching this. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us ears to hear. Would you come, Holy Spirit, encourage us this morning, grow us this morning, teach us this morning. And we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I'd encourage you to look in your bulletin or you can look in your Bible in Mark chapter 3. And the first thing that we see in this passage is that in Jesus we receive a new name. Now Mark tells us in verses 14 through 17 that he set apart these 12 and appointed them to serve as apostles. He called them sent ones. And they were to go out and preach the gospel and to cast out demons. And Jesus renames some of them. He renamed Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, which means the rock. He renames James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gives the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Tim Keller, commenting on this passage, says in the ancient Near East, your name conveyed the essence of who you are as a person. And if someone were to change their name, it meant that the person had undergone a great change. Jesus, by naming these disciples sent ones and actually changing some of their names, he was showing that because of his relationship with them, that they were undergoing a great change. Now, we also see this same thing going on in our society today. When a person joins the priesthood in the Catholic Church, you're given a different name to signify God's transformative work in your life. Many of you might be familiar with Brennan Manning. He's the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel, Abba Father, and many other incredible books. And before he joined the priesthood, His name was Richard Francis Xavier Manning. And when he became a priest, his name was changed to Brennan Manning. Now he chose Brennan because his best friend, Ray Brennan, had sacrificed his life by throwing himself on a grenade to save Richard Manning's life. Thus, the new name, Brennan Manning. Now, we see this in religious circles, but we also see this in secular circles. We see celebrities changing their names all the time. Catherine Elizabeth Hudson is now Katy Perry. Reginald Kenneth Dwight is Elton John. Peter Jean Hernandez is Bruno Mars. And my personal favorite, Jennifer Lynn Anastasakis is Jennifer Aniston. And now we know why she changed her name. It's very difficult. Name changes represented then and represent now a change in a person's life. And we've seen this done with good intentions, like with Brennan Manning and these celebrities. And sadly, we've seen this done with malintent. As we look back in history and so many Africans who were captured and sold into slavery... When they were taken to the slave markets in Charleston, South Carolina, 
one of the first things that happened where they were stripped of their African names and given white names. In Mark 3, Jesus says, I am the only one who has the power and authority to bestow on you your name. And here in our passage, Jesus is using his authority to rename the apostles. And by so doing, he, like an artist, is designing them for dignity. And reminding them of their everlasting identity in him. His naming imparts the strength, the beauty, the true identity of each of these apostles. And in Revelation 2, we read, Just as Jesus went up on the mountain and renamed the disciples, marking their identity as belonging to him with all the privileges and responsibilities of being a child of God, Jesus is going to rename each one of us in this room and at home. Jesus says this in Revelation 2.17, To the one who conquers... I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. When Jesus comes to consummate his kingdom, he is going to give all of us who profess faith in him a white stone with a new name written on it, signifying our perfected state. We don't know what those names will be. But to those of us who feel like our identity was taken from us. Or marked by a certain name that we used. Was used against us. Left us feeling hurt, wounded and powerless. We will receive a new name. I'm not sure what my name will be or what your name will be. Or what your neighbor's name will be. But what scripture tells us. Is that it will be given to us by a gracious, loving, just, and good Savior. And therefore, it can't be anything less than extraordinary and beautiful. Jesus is the good shepherd. And the shepherd knows his sheep. He knows your name. And he knows the name he will give you that will mark you when he comes again. You know, it's easy in our culture today to let others name you or to try and name yourself by how wealthy you are, what type of career you have, whose family you belong to, what country you're in. But Jesus says, I am the only one who has the authority and the power to name you. And your identity is determined by me and me alone. To Simon, you shall be called Peter, the rock. James and John, you are the sons of thunder. And to all of us who profess faith in Jesus, we are designed for dignity. We are his beloved sons and daughters. We belong to him. Our identity is found in him. Our purpose in life is found in him. Do not let the world shout you down and name you. Do not let those who seek to oppress and harm you name you. Do not let anyone name you except your heavenly 
Father. So the first thing we see in our passage this morning is that in Jesus we receive a new name. But you might be thinking to yourself, that sounds great, Todd, that when Jesus comes again, we're going to receive a new name. But what about here and now? This is a great question. And so secondly, this morning, as we look at our passage, it helps us to see how we begin to receive and grow into the name we will receive when Christ comes again. Tim Keller, commenting on our text this morning, says, We begin to get this new name and identity by participating in three processes. First, sending. Second, twelving. And third, withing. So first, sending. As we look at the text, we see what Jesus, we see that Jesus sends them out to preach and gives them authority so that they might cast out demons. Jesus says, if you want to to discover your true name, your identity in him, you must do it through word and deed. You must go out into the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel. And you must call evil what it is and care for the sick and poor among you. You must lose yourself to find yourself. Keller says, if you try to find yourself directly, you never will. Jesus says, instead of trying to find yourself, serve others and you will find out who you are. Pour your life out and you will discover your true identity in Christ. As we serve and lay down our life for the sake of the kingdom, we will discover our unique gifts and talents. We will discover the subjects we are most passionate about and discover the persons that God has created us to be. It's it's been so fun over the last months To talk with many of you who are serving with us on Saturday mornings. And as I've talked with many of you, it's it's been so interesting as you either have served inside, getting the food ready and organizing, or if you've served outside, passing out the food, or if you've been up here, just directing traffic, or if you've been those that have kind of taken the food to outcast. Many of you have shared as you've kind of served in that process, You've discovered who you are. You've discovered the unique gifts that God has given you. Some of you have discovered the gifts that you didn't have. And so you kind of aren't in the organizational side. And you're more on the people side. But through serving. Jesus says we discover more who our truest selves are. If we want to learn who we are in Christ. And how he is uniquely shaping us. Jesus says, serve others. Lay down your life for your neighbors. For in this place of sending, we discover our true selves. That he is shaping us into. And so the threefold process of growing into the identity he has fashioned for us. First is through sending. Secondly, through twelving. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on this passage, says that if someone were to 
ask you how many senators there are in Congress or how many congressmen and women there are in the House of Representatives, most of us could not tell you. These numbers, they don't mean much to us. They don't have a great significance. But if we were to go almost anywhere in the world and to ask how many disciples are there, I believe the majority would be able to say there are 12. 12 is a significant number in Israel's history. For the 12 tribes of Israel corresponded to the 12 patriarchs of Jacob. 10 of the tribes had been lost when the Assyrians invaded Israel. And there would be a time when God would turn everything around. And restore Israel by establishing a new community. So when Jesus is up on the mountain and he called, he could have called 13, he could have called 10, he could have called 7. He calls 12 and sets them apart. No one that was hearing this missed it. He was creating a new community. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy. Jesus was creating a people amongst himself. And Jesus is instructing us that we will grow in our understanding of our truest selves, our new names, as we live in community with one another. C.S. Lewis writes that when he lost one of his closest friends, he not only missed his friend, he missed the different parts this friend brought out in him and others. We discover so much of who we are through those that love and care for us. We discover who we are as we interact in community with one another. Now, granted, some of those things are beautiful and wonderful, and other of those things are painful to see, as Proverbs says, iron sharpening iron. And we confront one another. But as we live in a grace-filled community, we grow in Christ-likeness. And we we learn more of our true identity in Christ. I I know this is true for me. Because the sweetest taste of community that I've ever tasted was in seminary. I was part of a Master's of Counseling program with 20 other cohorts. And we would do counseling And we were behind mirrors, and so people would be on the other side of the mirror watching us. And after we did our session, we would go into that room where a group of our peers would then go on to tell us what they saw about us and how we interacted with others. Everything, every session was filmed, and we would take those films to our supervisor, and they would talk to us. Why did you do that? Why did you smile here? Why didn't you ask this question? Why are you afraid of conflict? And if that wasn't enough, I remember one time Gary gathered our class together, all 20 of us, sat us in a circle, and he said, I want each of you to come in the center of the circle, and if you've got a conflict with any person, I want you to call that person up, and I want you to tell them what they've done to you, how it made you feel, what you needed, And that you forgive them. And none of us were exempt. All 20 of us had to do that. It was an incredible exercise of 
A grace-filled community. And that community helped me and all of us know more about who we are. Our strengths, our weaknesses, our blind spots. It helped us know who we are as children of God. Likewise, if we're going to discover our true selves, we need to live in community. We need to invite those around us to speak truth into our lives. And we need to be willing to hear it, even if it's painful, knowing that they love and care about you. We all have blind spots where we don't see the beautiful things that God uniquely fashioned about us. Where we don't see the sinful patterns of relating that are destructive to us and others. God wants to use 12-ing. He wants to use a community to shape us. And and one of my greatest concerns during COVID-19 is we are so isolated. And I'm sure you're getting a lot of, of shaping from your family. But your family isn't enough. That's why it's important for the community of God to gather. Because we can see things about one another. Beautiful patterns. Beautiful traits. And we can see weaknesses and we can lovingly call us into the name that God is going to place on us when he comes again. So in this threefold process that we see from our text, the first is sending. That we grow in our identity as we learn and serve one another. The second is twelving, that we grow in our identity as we live in community. And the third is withing. Look back at our text. Jesus says in chapter 3, verse 14a, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Jesus is God incarnate, Christ with us. Jesus entered our world, not so he could relate to us from a distance, but so through his death and his resurrection, we might be reconciled to him. Jesus came to restore an intimate relationship with each of us. And it is through our intimacy with him that we discover who we are. Where we discover how much he loves us. Where we discover what it means to align our lives with his truth. Not the truth propagated by the world. If we don't spend time with our Savior. And put our heads on his chest. And let him whisper into our ears. We won't know our name. Jesus himself stole away time and again to be with the Father. So that he might be reminded of the truth that we talked about earlier in Mark. The the Father's words, you are my beloved for whom I am well pleased. And as we let God's love penetrate our heads and our hearts. And let his acceptance and grace heal our wounded hearts. We grow in our truest selves. The selves he created us to be. The identity that is uniquely you and me. And the challenge for all of us 
is to make time to be with him. We live in a world that's constantly demanding our attention. We have spouses and children that are constantly pulling on us. The tyranny of the urgent will always be louder than Jesus' still voice saying, Still away with me. But in this passage, Jesus says, The way to knowing your name and your identity in him is through a relationship, an intimate relationship with our Savior. So the threefold process of growing into our name and identity is sending, twelving, and withing. I wonder for you which of the three the Holy Spirit might be encouraging you to more fully participate in this week. Do you need to stretch yourself and come serve with us this Saturday morning? As we partner with Out of the Garden and Black Suits Initiative. Have you found with COVID-19 that you're in a bubble with only like-minded brothers and sisters? And you need to initiate with brothers and sisters who love you and who are different from you. So as to challenge you and to encourage you. Or have you let your times alone with Jesus slip away? And allow the busyness of the day to take its place. Whichever area the Spirit is leading you in, I'd encourage all of us to listen and to obey. By entering into these processes, God will shape us. He will call us. And He will show us the truth of who we are in Him. And we'll grow in our inkling of understanding and that new name that will be written on the stone that will be given to us when he comes again. Jesus' popularity, as we're reading through Mark, is growing so much so that he had to steal away because, or be crushed by the crowds. And while up on the mountain, Jesus appointed, he created, he named the twelve. And when Jesus comes back, he will hand you a rock with a new name on it. I think it's okay to dream about what that name is. To learn through serving. To learn through being in community. To learn through being with Jesus. What that name, what our identity in him, what our truest selves are becoming. So let's not let others completely define us. Let's not let the shouts of the crowd or the enemy give us our identity. Let's not let our careers, our wealth, our education, our family of origin, our ethnicity define us. Only Christ has the power to name us. And he promises to do so. And it's this Christ this morning that invites us to come and partake of this table. Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again, he invites us this morning. Those of us who are thirsty, those of us who are hungry, those of us who need to hear him whispering in our ear that we are his beloved. He asks us 
to come.